1: This is an ABC News special, The Biden Presidency, The First Hundred Days.
2: I, Joseph Robinette, Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. A closer look at the promises
1: he made and the problems he must now confront from the virus and the vaccine.
2: I just don't understand this sort of macho thing about I'm not going to get the vaccine. To the economy in need of a lifeline. You do have the resources to get to full employment soon.
1: A democracy tested. A nation divided with a new flashpoint at the border. What do you do with an unaccompanied child that comes to the border? And new calls to address gun violence.
2: This is an epidemic for God's sake.
1: Where does the Biden presidency stand and what's next on his agenda? The Biden presidency, the first 100 days. Here is ABC News correspondent
3: Aaron Katursky. If any place in America tells the story of how Joe Biden captured the presidency, it may be here. It's good to be back in Erie. Erie, Pennsylvania's fourth largest city, has been trying to shake off its Rust Belt history. But it's still populated by the kind of working class voters who turned their back on Hillary Clinton in 2016 and helped put Donald Trump in the White House. In 2020, President Biden managed to win them back, if narrowly. And when we asked for their impressions after living under the Biden administration for 100 days... Well, a little old, but steady, experienced,
4: calm, something reliable. Something, someone will get the job done. I think that's what we have now.
3: Sounds like an old shoe not going to be the most exciting pair you've ever worn. But they're comfortable and they fit, right? Americans are scoring President Biden's first 100 days in part on the big promises he made as he campaigned here in Pennsylvania and around the country. ABC News White House correspondent Karen Travers tells us he has kept some, but not all.
0: Aaron,
5: President Biden came into the White House with an ambitious agenda. The top priority, getting the COVID-19 pandemic under control.
2: We're going to get through this. We will defeat this pandemic.
5: The president setting a goal of 100 million COVID-19 vaccine shots within his first 100 days. With the U.S. hitting that mark well ahead of schedule, Mr. Biden upped his goal.
2: Today, we did it. Today, we hit... 200 million shots.
5: President Biden's top legislative priority, a COVID-19 relief bill. He proposed $1,400 stimulus checks, funding for schools and small businesses, and money for vaccinations, testing, and contact tracing. All were included in the $1.9 trillion package he signed into law in March.
2: For the first time in a long time, This bill puts working people in this nation first.
5: After COVID relief, the next big legislative priority for the Biden administration is infrastructure. It's a once in
2: a generation investment
5: in America, unlike
2: anything we've seen or done since we built the interstate
5: highway system and the space race decades ago. Congress is now negotiating a bill based on the president's $2.3 trillion proposal. Many items on President Biden's to-do list were checked off within hours of him taking office. Signing a proclamation to pause work on a wall on the U.S. southern border. Extending a pandemic-era pause on evictions and foreclosures. Extending a pause on federal student loan payments. The president moved quickly to put the U.S. back into the Paris Climate Agreement and reverse the process started by former President Trump to remove the U.S. from the World Health Organization. But there are several key promises President Biden has not yet met. The White House says it's not moving ahead to create a police reform commission, instead pushing for Congress to pass the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act.
2: Legislation to tackle systemic misconduct in police departments. To restore trust between law enforcement and the people they are entrusted to serve and protect.
5: In the wake of a series of mass shootings in recent weeks, President Biden's under pressure to follow through on his promise of gun reform.
2: In my first day of office, I'm going to send a bill to the Congress repealing, repealing the liability protection for gun manufacturers, closing the background check loopholes and... Waiting period,
5: but so far no gun proposal has been sent to Capitol Hill. The White House again deferring to lawmakers. President Biden touts his decades of experience in Washington as evidence that he can bridge the deep divides on Capitol Hill.
2: There's going to be, I promise you, between four and eight Republican senators are willing to going to be willing to move on things where there's bipartisan consensus.
5: But no Republicans voted for the president's COVID relief plan, and there is fierce GOP opposition to the price tag and broad scope. Of the president's infrastructure proposal. Aaron?
3: ABC's Karen Travers and in fact, Karen, here in Erie, Pennsylvania, we met Robert Yates, a home health aide, who told us he wants the president to keep trying to persuade Republicans.
4: I'll hope he continues to make efforts to reach out across the aisle to involve the Republicans in decision-making and try to get some bipartisan votes
3: the mayor of Erie Joe Schember a Democrat said it's important the president seek compromise especially for voters in a place like this where Biden's margin of victory was little more than 1400 votes I guess
2: I'm still not pleased with the temperature politically Uh, I think Republicans and Democrats still tend to not trust each other and We're not going to agree on everything.
3: And there is no unanimity on the Biden
4: agenda. I'm not really much of a liberal person, but I'd be happy to see just the country try to get back to normal.
3: That's why Robert Yates, the home health aide who voted for Trump in 2016, said he voted for Biden in 2020.
4: He was older. He was experienced. He'd been in Washington many years. He knew how the government worked, and I thought he'd be a reliable, electable candidate. It turns out the majority agreed.
3: So how's he doing?
4: I think he's doing very well so far. I'm just happy to have someone back at the helm of the head of ship state that's stable and competent and not, you know, making noise all the
3: time. Sounds like you were kind of exhausted by the Trump years.
4: Absolutely was. I I did everything I could to try to separate the personality from the uh, policy and be supportive of what he could accomplish that was good, but it was just... By the time we got to, you know, 2019 and 2020, enough was enough.
3: Exasperated.
4: Exasperated with all the nonsense going on and the chaos in government, yes. Does it feel calmer in the country? It does feel much calmer. It's it's nice that we're not, you know, talking about politics and the president every day
3: anymore. So is he the invisible president?
4: Not quite invisible. He's, he's more low-key than a couple of his predecessors, but he seems to be very focused on two things, which is getting
3: vaccines to as many people as possible and also... ECONOMIC RECOVERY. IF BIDEN WANTS TO HANG ON TO VOTERS LIKE ROBERT, MAYOR SCHEMBER SAID IT COULD BE THROUGH HIS $1.9 TRILLION ECONOMIC RELIEF PLAN.
2: WE'RE GETTING ABOUT 74 MILLION OF THAT, I THINK, IN THE CITY which the city in over 200 years has been in existence has never received that amount of money in one lump sum
3: To the mayor that's transformational type money in this lakefront city still navigating its post-industrial economy.
2: One of the things we've talked about and we don't know if we don't know if it's legal or not yet but that we would put in high-speed internet throughout the entire county free of charge.
3: Erie is losing population its unemployment and poverty rates are high. Local salon owner Jen worries other parts of the Biden agenda may do more harm than good.
6: In a way, I think people are being incentivized to stay home um, because the unemployment is just
3: bottomless right now. If you had to hire somebody here, could you find a worker?
6: People are definitely not as um, eager to apply. I mean, I would normally have people calling and asking if we were hiring, and I have not had that at all. How can that be? I know other salons in the area that had employees tell them that they did not want to return until the additional however was it 600 at the beginning until that ran out
3: because they were making because more money because
6: they were making more money being at home.
3: She is also skeptical of Biden's push for a $15 minimum wage.
6: Here in PA it's 725 So you're paying them over double to start. There's just no way that businesses can sustain that.
3: Jen preferred we did not use her full name or even her salon's name because she has a strict no politics policy. You sure it's okay to talk politics in here?
6: Yeah, no, we're (laughs) empty.
3: (laughs) Joe Biden made 14 visits to Pennsylvania after the Democratic convention. People in this state were inundated and Jen said her clients became heated. There
6: were obviously a lot of differing opinions We really just tried to keep those to ourselves and hoped that our clients would as well. There was a lot of redirecting when people would really want to be heard.
3: As for her own opinion about President Biden's first 100 days, Jen told us she couldn't tell yet.
6: I'll be curious to see in a year where we are.
3: You're withholding judgment.
6: I'm definitely withholding judgment. Either way.
3: (laughs) Across from her salon, Jen can see the businesses that did not make it due to the pandemic or unrest last spring, when a peaceful protest here over the death of George Floyd turned violent.
6: The coffee shop right there had the windows smashed in. Right
3: across the street. Right across
6: the street. At Kitty
3: Erie, like so many other American communities, is waiting on President Biden.
6: That's a, a tough one to tackle. Yeah. I certainly hope that he can help bring people together because people are just so divided right now.
3: So. What would you tell the new president, or the 100 days in president?
6: Good luck. (laughs) Not a job I'd want, that's for sure.
3: In his first three months in office, President Biden has signed a $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief bill and has overseen direct payments of $1,400 to tens of millions of American households. So far, unfulfilled is an overhaul of the nation's immigration system. Biden has faced attacks from Republicans over the migrant surge at the border, and from Democrats over limits to the numbers of refugees allowed into the country. ABC's Jim Ryan has more now from Texas.
7: Aaron, in the first 100 days of the Biden presidency, the situation along the southern border has only gotten more complicated as the number of migrants taken into custody soars toward a two-decade high, 170,000 in March alone. On the front lines of the crisis are landowners like William Jones Miller. Gates get broken, cattle get out horses get out. When we had this one truck that just ran through the fence that they leave it there, they jump and run. We had four deaths last week, and now we have 29. Rancher Mike Vickers of Brooks County, Texas, regularly finds the remains of undocumented immigrants, some of whom have traveled thousands of miles, only to die of exposure to the elements a few miles inside the U.S. and on his property.
8: A lot of these bodies may not be found until hunting season, when people are out there hunting, and most of them probably never will be found.
7: Tragically, many of the bodies found along the border are those of children. Human smugglers make a tidy profit sneaking kids into the country, often abandoning them with nothing but the clothes on their
2: backs.
7: (laughs) Wilton Gutierrez Obregón is one of the lucky ones. The 10-year-old from Nicaragua was dumped on a lonely dirt road alongside the Rio Grande and left to fend for himself. A Border Patrol agent spotted him and picked him up. He's been placed with family members who are in the country legally. Up the river at about the same time...
9: I was devastated. I was just appalled of what I was watching on this
7: video. Gloria Chavez is the chief border patrol agent for the El Paso sector. The video she had just watched captured images of two young girls being dropped over a 14-foot section of border wall by human traffickers.
9: We told them that we not to be scared, that we're here for them and that we're gonna take care of them and that very soon, hopefully, we put them together with their mom in the United States because that's the key, right?
7: Like Wilton Gutierrez-Obregón, the Ecuadorian sisters, ages five and three, were lucky.
9: So there is a relative in the United States and it's the mother. And the contact has already been made with her.
7: Some who live in the border region welcome the Biden administration's stated willingness to find solutions beyond simply deporting or locking up undocumented immigrants. Sarah Hooten feels...
10: A lot of hope and relief. They're the last people to be thought of in many regards and especially
11: the immigrants in detention
7: on the issue of immigration vice president kamala harris is calling on landowners lawmakers and law enforcers to be patient
11: the work we have to do is going to require a commitment and that's the work that i'm prepared to do which is to begin that process
7: caught between evolving ideologies within the two parties and immigration policies that shift with every presidential election are people like Maria Gladys Martinez. She felt she had no choice but to leave Guatemala with her 11- and 12-year-old children and to make the long journey north. The intense South Texas heat forced her to stop walking and to surrender to Border Patrol. It's a journey she now says she regrets. President Biden, who at first wanted to roll back many Trump-era immigration policies, is now forced to echo one of his predecessors' messages to would-be immigrants.
2: I can say quite clearly, don't come, and we're in the process of getting set up. Don't leave your town or city
7: or community. Despite his appeal, the number of people surrendering to Border Patrol or being caught sneaking into the country is expected to rise into the summer.
3: Aaron? ABC's Jim Ryan, an issue for the next 100 days of the Biden presidency. Most, of course, of the first 100 days has been consumed with the pandemic. There are now more than 32 million cases in the United States, more than 574,000 deaths. But more than half of U.S. adults have received at least one dose of vaccine. More than a third have been fully vaccinated. And in many circumstances, those fully vaccinated Americans no longer need to wear masks outdoors. We're joined from Chicago by ABC News medical contributor Dr. Jay Bott. Dr. Bott, how do you score the president on the pandemic? I think
8: given the scale of the crisis he's tackling, Aaron, and the opposition he faces and what he had come into, I think President Biden has uh, done a good job. Uh, I think that when we look back when Biden took office, the seven-day rolling average for vaccination was seven hundred and seventy seven thousand a day. But that number has rose under his leadership to about three million a day. And as you pointed out, you know, we've gotten significant members of the population. Eighty percent of seniors have received at least one shot, 25% of Americans fully vaccinated, with 50% getting at least one dose. Now the question is, is it's possible that the vaccine rollout would have ramped up no matter who was president. But I think President Biden deserves credit for certain steps. One, pushing manufacturers to increase vaccine production federal support for mass vaccination sites, and pushing vaccines to to underserved communities where I practice, for example, in a community health center, where those vaccines are essential to meet those who are disproportionately affected. Uh, And so accessibility, you know, within five miles of almost every American is critically important. And I think we've seen the CDC come to a place of prominence uh, or respect, having scientists speak to the general public, uh, um, uh, changing guidance uh, when the signs suggest so, as we saw with outdoor masking. And so I think that you know the challenges ahead include continuing to adjust the vaccination effort for the next 20% of people that need to get vaccinated, uh, because we're seeing supply, outstrip demand right now, uh, and we'll eventually need to think about kids. And so I think this segmentation of population will be important. And I think we've got to still watch out for variants, uh, that we're seeing the tragic nature of the impact of variants in, in India and the challenges they're facing. We saw what happened in Michigan. We just got to continue to keep up uh, the pressure and the public health measures that work. So we're not in that situation come the fall.
3: Jay, I wanted to ask you about attitudes in the clinic where you practice, because Republicans would point out that everything in terms of vaccines started under President Trump and that uh, President Biden is is just taking credit for, for something he doesn't deserve. Have attitudes about the vaccine shifted under this new administration at all?
8: In my sense, Aaron, is uh, and certainly anecdotally and what we've seen from the evidence, we're seeing the number of people who have moved from being uh, on the fence or saying no to a vaccine to being more willing to uh, engage in vaccine uh, curious conversations and getting the vaccine rise higher. Uh, and I think that's due to uh, interventions put in place, uh, hard work that's happening by care teams and, and so many people in communities trusted messengers in the faith community, community influencers, clinical teams, uh, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and and so many others. Um, So I think we're seeing progress. What I'm concerned about is that we may see a plateau uh, and getting that last mile is gonna be incredibly difficult. And so it's just gonna take uh, a focused uh, uh, interventions and actions to make sure that that happens.
3: Beyond vaccinations, what should President Biden look to do next with the pandemic? Your good friend, Dr. Tom Frieden, the former head of the CDC, uh, has said that the next big thing is going to be core public health infrastructure and health security to prevent the next pandemic and break the cycle of what he calls panic and neglect.
8: Hey Aaron, I would agree with uh, uh, Dr. Frieden and, and would say that public health infrastructure is certainly one we saw where there were challenges in infrastructure, data, data aggregation, that folks didn't have the information they needed to make decisions on the ground and in communities, in states. Uh, and public health, we've also seen, because of both the political onslaught uh, to leadership in public health and just the sheer uh, work and the lack of infrastructure, be, be burned out uh, with the work that they're doing 24-7. And so I, I think there's... Um, the importance to continue to lift up public health, support it, uh, is being important. I think we're going to have to continue to drive forward treatments, not only the vaccines, but those treatments that care for illnesses uh, that are mild uh, and moderate, to keep people uh, out of the hospital and getting severe disease. I think we're also uh, going to have to uh, get stronger on surveillance and our surveillance mechanisms. And we've seen the investments through the American Rescue Act that's been made on intelligence and pandemic surveillance. And so we'll hopefully see that come to fruition.
3: Dr. Jay Bott is an ABC News medical contributor and a practicing physician in clinics in Chicago as he judges the first 100 days President Biden's handling of the pandemic and coming up the overdue reckoning on race, justice and police. I'm Aaron Katursky. You're listening to an ABC News special, The Biden Presidency, The First 100 Days.
1: You're listening to an ABC News special, The Biden Presidency, The First
3: Hundred Days. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Aaron Katersky. President Biden knew coming in the trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin would occur in his first 100 days in office. Activists emboldened by the shooting death of George Floyd cheered the guilty verdict, but made clear the debate over race, justice, and the police required more of the president's attention while police officers wondered what the new president would think of them. ABC's Mark Remillard has
13: more from Minneapolis. Aaron, as with any president, they inherit challenges and issues, some direct from their predecessor, some decades in the making. For President Biden, an issue that fits both of those categories Is race and justice in America. Of course, the issue has been hard fought for decades, centuries even, in this country. But particularly toward the end of the Trump administration, race relations in America took on additional urgency. May 25th, 2020, the world watched in shock as a Minneapolis police officer, Derek Chauvin, placed his knee on the neck of George Floyd, an unarmed black man, and held it there for nine minutes. Floyd writhed under Chauvin's knee. The death of George Floyd was seen millions of times on viral video and tipped off a summer of demonstrations calling for justice for George Floyd and a reckoning for police. In 2019, Pew Research Center found 58 percent of Americans felt race relations in the country were bad, and a further 56 percent said President Trump made the situation worse. In the wake of Floyd's death, Trump called the incident a disgrace, but insisted that Chauvin's actions were an outlier and not symptomatic of a larger issue with police. He took a hard line with demonstrations taking place across America last summer that sometimes did turn violent. Trump doubled down on a charged phrase that, at its worst, has been called veiled racism, and at its best is a full-throated endorsement of police. Talk
1: about law and order. Law and order on one side and you have chaos on the other. We want law and order. We have to have law and order. Little law and order.
13: Then candidate Biden took a much different tone, fitting with his campaign's tenor of healing a broken country. Biden called for unity in the wake of Floyd's death.
2: I won't traffic in fear and division.
13: But now, as president, Biden faces a challenge of what to do and how to fix the country's continued issues with race and police. On Biden's 90th day in office, April 20th, a landmark verdict was reached 11 months after the death of George Floyd.
3: We, the jury in the above entitled matter, as to count one... Find the defendant guilty.
13: Derek Chauvin was found guilty of two counts of murder and one count of manslaughter. But even with that verdict, an ABC News Washington Post poll released April 23rd found 6 in 10 Americans say more needs to be done to hold police accountable. Biden spoke about Chauvin's verdict just hours after it came down, saying that Floyd's death must bring about change.
2: We're going to continue to fight for the passage of the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act so we can, I can sign the law as quickly as possible.
13: Among other things, the act would outlaw no-knock warrants, the kind used in a Louisville police raid that led to the death of Breonna Taylor last year, and it would restrict qualified immunity for police officers, which shields them from personal liability based on their actions while on duty. But it faces an uphill battle in the Senate, where Republicans like Florida Senator Rick Scott tell ABC News that ending qualified immunity would have unintended consequences. What
2: I'm not going to do is put our law enforcement community in a position that they've got to second-guess themselves when they're trying to make sure people are staying safe.
13: But as Biden campaigned on a platform to heal a divided America and owes much of his election victory to communities of color, many say there is more work to be done. I was outside the court in Minneapolis when the verdicts came down guilty against Derek Chauvin. And while there was celebration by the crowd outside, it was clear the message was, this is a start, not an end. Biden is pushing for the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act to pass Congress. But even still, that ABC News Washington Post poll found 42% of Americans say Biden is not doing enough to reform police practices. Aaron? Aaron?
3: ABC's Mark Remillard, and we're joined now from Harvard University by ABC News contributor, Dr. Leah Wright-Rigueur. President Biden has spoken often of healing the divides in the country. How's he doing?
9: Well, I think he's trying, and certainly the the um, support that he has around the pandemic, the health pandemic and COVID-19 and coronavirus, indicate that he is, that the nation is moving forward, that we are seeing some kind of uh, calibration around what were once deeply polarized and deeply divisive issues. But on the issue, I think, of race and race relations and certainly policing in this country, it's not so much about unity as it is about building trust and getting to concrete solutions. And that's where Biden is having a much more difficult problem. Why
3: is that? What what makes it intractable? Is it the times or is it him and and something more he could be doing
9: well certainly we what we part of what we want is uh, you know and part of I think what progressives want in this moment is a president who's going to take big bold action and there's actually a lot to be learned from Donald Trump's presidency Trump was very much in line with his base and gave his base big bold action even if he didn't achieve a lot of that action um, it may not have, you know, it certainly was very different from, from what progressives are calling for. But I think what we're seeing now is that Democrats, uh, liberals and progressives are looking and saying, well, why can't we have that big, uh, kind of big, bold action? And I think what we're seeing is that we have somebody in Biden who is very much caught in this idea of centrism and in this idea of bipartisanship and trying to find a middle ground. But we're talking about issues that actually don't necessarily have a middle ground. We're talking about issues where you're either on the right side of things or you're on the wrong side of things. And so the idea of compromising, particularly when we're talking about people's lives and people's humanity, there's just not a way forward on that that, that involves a center uh, a center or a bipartisan compromise on that because there is no compromising.
3: What would big, bold action in this regard whether it's police reform or, or, or something akin, what, what would that look like?
9: Well, certainly the bill that is in front of Congress, the George Floyd uh, uh, policing bill, um, which incorporates a lot of, I think, dramatic and bold uh, propositions, including you know, end if, ending or amending qualified immunity, banning chokeholds, things like that. Um, certainly that is a start. We also know, you know that Biden has pledged to end, you know, bring an end to private prisons. Also, a good start. But I think part of what people are, are pushing at is saying that a vision of justice and a vision of restorative justice is one in which George Floyd isn't dead, that we don't have George Floyd anymore. And what we've seen, even with Biden making these promises and putting forward these bills, we're still seeing people dying in the streets. So... That's what that's what change would actually
3: look like. ABC News contributor, Dr. Leah wright Rigur. Joe Biden has been in public life a long time, but in many ways, we are just getting to know him during the first 100 days of his presidency. We're joined by our White House team, Karen Travers, Mary Bruce and Mary Alice Parks, who cover the president and his administration every day for ABC News. Mary, let's start with you. We've seen the public opinion polls that put his popularity somewhere in the low 50s. Is that a fair measure of how he's really doing?
11: Yes. I mean, I do think it's a little tough to assess how he's doing 100 days in, obviously. That is what um, the White House, I think, would point to first, is that they're only 100 days in. But you do get a real sense, I think, of his governing style, if nothing else, 100 days in. Um, What strikes me most is how wedded he is to his agenda He came into office knowing that he has a limited amount of time with a Democratic majority to try and get done some very, very big things. And he really means it when he says he thinks he has a once in a generation opportunity to make these kinds of investments. So you saw them push through and it really was pushing and arm twisting to get through that that covid relief bill and now trying to get through this massive infrastructure bill. And now we know he's going to be pushing again for these huge, what they call human infrastructure measures, education, childcare. He's going really big. And that's because he is under pressure to get this done. On the flip side, I think what's most surprising is that it's not necessarily uh, the governing style that candidate Joe Biden promised, right? He promised to reach across the aisle. They were sweeping overtones uh, of bipartisanship. He gave a whole inauguration address on unity. Uh, And yet so much of that has fallen really flat. There's a lot of talk of bipartisanship, but the action is of a president who is, you know, really political in nature and is trying to push through his agenda items, no matter the cost. There also, of course, are the measures that have fallen short. There are a lot of promises kept, but a lot of promises that he has not live up to um gun control reforms police reforms there are strides that he promised to make in those areas uh, racial justice education that we simply haven't seen yet look you can't do all things at one time but you also don't want to be so wedded to your agenda that you can't adapt this administration has so, has shown so far that 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 could be tricky it can be hard to balance all of these things at one time
3: and karen travers as you you know, speak to radio hosts mm-hmm. every single morning is what he is doing resonating
5: Yeah, I think because out there, outside of Washington, you know, the big thing that Americans are still talking about and focused on is the COVID-19 pandemic and how that impacts their daily lives, whether or not their kids are back in school, whether or not they can go out and eat in a restaurant, you know, how comfortable they feel in their community and what the vaccination numbers are looking like out there, too. So I think it's been really striking that there's, you know, the things that sometimes are the biggest headline in Washington in recent weeks haven't always been the biggest headline out there and the questions that I'm getting asked about. you know, And I think the president's priorities as he's come in, COVID-19, the rescue plan, and now that shift to infrastructure, these are very local issues. And I think that the administration has been really uh, trying to, to get that message out there in a way that is maybe not resonating here in Washington. You know, Mary brought up the point of bipartisanship and that the president campaigned on that pledge, and that's fallen by the wayside. But what they have done, though, is message this in the sense that uh, bipartisanship doesn't have to mean Republicans on Capitol Hill are voting for our pieces of legislation, or they're supporting what President Biden is doing. They feel comfortable saying that bipartisanship means that Americans are supporting what the president is doing. You know, and we're seeing in our recent polls, 64% of Americans approve of the job he's doing on the pandemic. And, And they're reaching out to Republican state officials and Republican mayors, and they will say that that works for them, that if Republicans are, you know, not necessarily on the overall job approval, but if if Republicans like some of the measures he's putting forward, that's good enough for them. So I think it's been interesting to see how much more localized their message has been. You know, cabinet members and White House officials doing a ton of interviews and media out there in the, the states to try and drive home that message, which maybe they're having more resistance when they're trying to drive that same exact message to lawmakers on Capitol Hill.
3: And if Republicans are having a hard time, the president is also facing pressure from the left. So let me. Bring Mary Alice Parks into the conversation. Are, are progressives happy with the first hundred days, Mary Alice?
10: Yeah, I think they're really happy. They felt like they had a seat at the table from the very beginning uh, during the transition. Progressives felt like they were included in every conversation. I think they've been pleasantly surprised that he has gone so uh, big and bold on climate issues. You know, there was no hesitation on Keystone Pipeline. They're now having big debates on. On, frankly much more obscure pipelines that they that um, progressives are still going to ask for all fracking all drilling to be shut down but they got nominees through the senate they were excited about they got a cabinet they were excited about and they're getting policy proposals they're excited about
3: karen we going to see more of president biden on the road to sell his agenda in the next hundred days
10: you know i think we were
5: a little surprised that he didn't travel as much on the covid relief plan as we were expecting you know the white house had been promising that he would be out there selling this to the american people even after he signed it and and selling it in the sense of telling americans what was in it why they should like it to try and keep the approval of that plan as high as it was because you know they want to try and run off of this for as many months as they possibly can we were hearing the same thing about infrastructure that the president would be out there touting the infrastructure proposal, you know, going to specific places and saying, fix that highway, fix that bridge. And, you know, getting to Mary's point earlier about them not being as flexible and deviating from the agenda and game plan they came in with, there are a lot of things that have just been happening that they have to address and that has kept him in Washington. Uh, You know, even some of the events that he had planned a couple weeks ago to talk about the COVID plan got derailed because of a mass shooting. So they've had to adjust things. But I think it's notable that it's been several weeks since he rolled out the infrastructure plan, and we haven't seen that big push of the president out there. Some cabinet members have been doing things, but it's maybe not the same. And and I think if you're trying to get to that point of let's make sure America likes this, even though we know it's going to be a hard sell on Capitol Hill, maybe the president isn't using political capital in a way that could actually benefit him right now.
10: Can I play devil's advocate though? Yeah. I because we're used, we're used to the cynical conversation in Washington. And I actually think there is another way to look at the last few weeks, um, which we haven't talked about a lot, which is that you know, Republican, a group of Republicans sent back to the White House a counter offer on infrastructure. Now, it was a trillion dollars less than the president's plan. So we're not talking about two proposals that are even in the same like wheelhouse, but It was a serious proposal by a lot of accounts on Capitol Hill. Joe Manchin, obviously sort of a thorn in some Democrat side, said it was a serious proposal that should be really considered. The White House said that they were really looking at it. They were expecting this kind of back and forth. You know, and on a police reform where we saw the president really take hits for not following through on some campaign promises to set up commissions and do some work. We also are actually seeing real life negotiations in the Senate between Democrats and Republicans on like a really tricky, controversial, and complicated part of a police reform package. And I actually think if you we take a step back and think in only 100 days, what a difference that is from a Washington we've seen in the last few years where there was hardly ever real back and forth, maybe there's a less cynical take on things maybe working.
3: ABC News White House correspondent Mary Alice Parks along with Karen Travers and Mary Bruce, thank you guys. In the coming weeks, President Biden's going to make his first foreign trip, even as much of his focus remains here at home, guiding the country's recovery from the pandemic. He of all people knows time is short and the next election is always looming. For my colleagues, I'm Aaron Katursky. You've been listening to a special presentation from ABC News.
8: As in previous campaigns, it's the economy stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news stupid. It is the economy stupid.
0: It's not the economy
2: stupid. It's national security stupid. It's the hair stupid.
12: In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts.